Luke 24, 13 through 35, and 44 through 53. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word, and we ask that as we reflect on it for the next few minutes that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, and that we might see Jesus high and lifted up, that we might see him this Ascension Sunday as the Lord and King over all. For his sake we pray, amen. Well, we all love good stories, and good stories develop. Uh, A good story, whether it's an adventure story or a love story, has complexity and nuance and a depth to it. Humans everywhere, across time and across cultures, love stories. And the reason is that we're made in God's image, and God is the ultimate storyteller. In fact, the Bible is two-thirds stories, two-thirds narratives. God endowed and he created us to love stories. And we know that good stories all progress from beginning to middle to end, and that there's great complexity in any good story. It's no different with the Bible. The stories of the Bible all progress toward a final dramatic, climactic ending. And we see this especially in the Gospels. We have four Gospels, and one of the reasons why we have four Gospels is that it takes multiple perspectives to tell the single great story of who Jesus is. And all four Gospel writers give us a little bit of difference uh, in terms of their understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. And today, we're going to look at Luke's version of the story, and we're going to see how Luke concludes his gospel with Jesus' ascension into heaven. And Luke is a master storyteller. Luke wrote two books, uh, the Gospel of Luke and then the entire book of Acts. And the way that Luke tells both his gospel story and the church's story is to connect them both to Jesus and to the Spirit. Acts chapter 1 tells us that the church began to embody everything that Jesus taught and did, that the church continues the story of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. For Luke, Jesus and his church are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. You can't understand the church and who the people of God are without Jesus, and you can't understand Jesus and his work in the world without the people of God. And as Luke concludes his gospel, in order to transition into his next book, the book of Acts, Luke beautifully and powerfully connects Jesus and his church together. And so we want to look this morning at how the ascension of Jesus is not only vital to the story of Jesus, to the very gospel, the good news which God announces to the world, but how it's also essential to our stories and how we come to understand who we are as human beings in this world. And in order to understand what Luke is doing at the very end of his gospel, we need to go back to the beginning of Luke's story, to Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. In Luke chapter 1, there are people who are waiting for the birth of Jesus. 
specifically, uh, Elizabeth and Mary are waiting for births. Elizabeth is waiting for the birth of her son, John the Baptist. Mary is waiting for the birth of her son, Jesus. And we learn in Luke chapter 1 that these births are miraculous, that these births come from God's very life, God's very spirit. These women who should not be having babies have become pregnant and give birth to these children. And we're told in Luke 1 and 2 that these women are filled with the spirit of God. And we learn, in fact, that Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, is filled with the Spirit of God even within the womb. We learn that Elizabeth herself is filled with the Spirit of God, that Mary is overcome, overshadowed, overpowered by the Spirit of God. We also learn that Zechariah is filled with the Spirit. And then in chapter 2, that Simeon and Anna are filled with the Spirit and so we learn from the very beginning of Luke's gospel that to be part of the people of God is to have the spirit of God. And now at the very end, in Luke chapter 24, the people are awaiting for the spirit of God to come into their midst. We also learn in Luke 1 and 2 that the people of God are waiting for the spirit of God in a particular place. They're waiting for God to work in the temple. The temple is where God's life and presence has always been amongst his people. And so in Luke 1 and 2, uh, these people are performing priestly duties, praying, waiting, worshiping, uh, asking for God's power and presence to be known among them, asking for God's blessing and life to come to them. They're eagerly worshiping God in the temple, waiting for God's life to show up. And then at the very end of Luke, we see that this is what happens as well, that these uh, people of God are waiting in the temple of God, waiting to receive God's power from the place that he has promised to be. And so we see certain themes get developed in Luke 1 and 2 that play out in Luke chapter 24. Another theme that we see is the theme of joy. Luke 1 and 2 are stories filled with joy. And now in Luke 24, we see joy in God's people, joy and amazement and wonder at the resurrection, and joy and amazement and wonder at the gift of the Spirit and at the ascension of our Lord. Uh, we also see um, that as God's people wait for this story to be uh, unfolded, that there's a lot of waiting going on. Uh, Zechariah. Simeon, Anna, Mary, Elizabeth, they all have to wait. They all have to wait patiently. And now in Luke chapter 24, the people of God have to wait. Uh, they have to wait to be clothed on high with the Spirit of God. They have to wait for the story to continue. They have to wait for Jesus to ascend to his Father. And so these themes of the Spirit of God of the joy of God, of the temple of God, of waiting upon God are present in the beginning of Luke and at the end of Luke. So Luke's gospel has come full circle in, this, in the chapter, in the story, in the verses that we've read. The themes that he introduced early in his work have come to fruition at the end of his work. Well, why do you think Luke told his story in this way? 
Why do you think Luke connected these seams at the very beginning of his gospel to these seams that we've just read about at the end of his gospel? Well, the reason is because Luke wants to show us that these promises, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the presence of God, the promise of joy in God, the promise of waiting for God, finds their completion in Jesus. And Luke wants to wrap it all up in the ascension of Jesus, that when Jesus left this earth, he went to the Father's right hand to rule and to reign at the Father's side. And the ascension for Luke means that Jesus is really who he said he was, that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Son of Adam. The ascension for Luke means that he is the rightful ruler over all things. It means that he has ascended a throne, not David's throne, as good as that would have been. He's ascended a much greater throne, his father's throne, this heavenly throne, this throne in heaven itself. He rules from the very throne room of God. He's greater than any earthly ruler. He's greater than any earthly power. He's received a heavenly kingdom. And the ascension for Luke means that the story of God's work in the world is reaching its crescendo. It's reaching its high point. You see, at the very beginning, God created the world to be a place where human beings, where his image bearers would share his rule and his authority uh, share in his reign in his good earth. God never intended to rule his creation by himself, but he placed image bearers, vice regents, to rule right along with him. But then mankind, due to sin, began to rule over God's good world in perverted and perverse ways. It began to corrupt this rule. But God always promised that one day he would send a true ruler, a true king, a true Lord, who would restore this rule of God to his world the way that it was always intended to be. And so that's why God sent to his people leaders, and he sent to his people kings, people like David, who in small but real ways imaged what it meant to rule in God's way. But we know that people like David and Solomon and all of the rules that God sent to his people failed. But finally, God sent a ruler who would rule in his world perfectly and purely. And that ruler is Jesus. And Jesus, who completed his earthly task, Jesus, who completed his earthly mission, is now given the right to rule with God in heaven, to rule over all things. God has entrusted to Jesus a kingdom and a throne and a dominion that God always wanted to share with his people. So friends, the ascension is good news. The ascension means that the promise that there would be a rightful ruler in God's world has come to pass. And the ascension also means that because there is a ruler who's in charge of God's throne room, of God's control room, because finally there's a son of Adam 
who's directing and controlling all things from his throne, that this son of Adam is sharing his rule with his people. And that this son of Adam is sharing his very spirit with his people to continue the story of this good news of God making things right upon his earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, without the ascension, there would be no good news. There would be no gospel. There would be no fact that Jesus reigns over all. There would be no gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we need Ascension Sunday. We need the reality that Jesus has been seated on the Father's right hand in order to understand the very gospel. You see, Jesus and his story is a unified whole. If you take away one aspect of the story of Jesus, you change the whole story. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of what God is doing in the world, isn't that Jesus lived for sinners, as good as that is. As good as, as it is that Jesus fulfilled the law on behalf of broken and rebellious senior, sinners, that's not the entirety of the good news. The good news isn't that Jesus died for sinners, that he became the substitute satisfying God's justice. As good as this news is, that Jesus died for us, that's not the totality of the good news. The good news isn't that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus conquered death for us. As good as that news is, that's not the entirety of the good news. The good news also includes that Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand and that he is ru ruling and reigning over all things for the sake of his people, that he's directing and controlling all of history on our behalf. The good news of the gospel is all these things, that Christ lived for us, that Christ died for us, that Christ was raised for us, and that Christ now ascended to the Father's right hand, rules over all things for us. We can't divide the story of Jesus. We can't forget any aspect of the story of Jesus. But sadly, I think in many ways we do. Most of us tend to focus on one aspect of Jesus' life and neglect the others. Many of us tend to focus on the story of Jesus as a substitute lamb, as the one who came to die for us, as his work for us upon the cross. Ask our children, and we say, why did Jesus come into the world? And more often than not, you'll probably get the answer to die for our sins. Well, that's beautiful. That's true. That's right. That's glorious. But that's not the whole story. Jesus came into the world to live for us. He came into the world to die for us. He came into the world to rise for us. And we need to be reminded that he came into the world to ascend for us, to go to the Father's throne to be crowned as Lord and King over all things. And I think that we need to spend a lot more time focusing and thinking and meditating upon the ascension of Christ. 
The ascension is good news. The ascension is tied up in the gospel story. The ascension is the good news that Jesus is the rightful king of the entire universe. And friends, we need to rest in that. The ascension means that in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of brokenness, that even in the midst of all these things that go the way that we don't want them to go, that Christ is still seated on his throne, that Christ is still in control of all things, the good and the bad. The ascension means that there's not one thing that happens in your life where Jesus Christ is not Lord over it. There's not one thing that Jesus is not in control of. The ascension means that Jesus is the Lord over all, including the dark and difficult things in our lives, sickness, unemployment, loneliness, sadness, and even death. And Luke ends his gospel focused on the ascension of Christ in order to teach us as those who are seeking to follow Jesus that we don't follow an earthly king. Rather, we follow a king who has gone into the heavens. We follow a king who is Lord over all. We follow a king who has conquered sin and death. And so, friends, the ascension is a beautiful thing for us as a people of God to meditate upon, to reflect on, to have it sink into our bones as we seek to live for Jesus in this world. And so as we reflect on the ascension, I want us to think about two ways in which it might show up in our lives, two applications for how the reality that Jesus is the Lord and King over all, that Jesus sits on the Father's throne, that Jesus is in control of all history, that Jesus is in control of your life, how these things might change you. So two applications. First, the ascension changes our perspective on what it means to be affirmed and accepted in this world. You see, we're all people who are seeking to be affirmed by others. We're all people who are seeking to be accepted by others. We do this in, in good ways and healthy ways, and then we also do this in destructive and dysfunctional ways. But we all want to be affirmed and accepted by families, by friends, by neighbors, by coworkers, by bosses. And sometimes we're not. And that's hard. And that's difficult. And that's challenging for us to bear but the ascension teaches us that the risen Christ who is Lord and ruler over all things, that he affirms us, that he accepts us. And friends, this is good news for us to rest in. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the people of God being accepted in the beloved. And so what the ascension means for us is that we can have quiet confidence that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things for the sake of his people, even now. And that reality is enough. And that reality is especially enough 
in the dark and difficult and disappointing times of life. And we need nothing more than to know that Jesus is on his throne and that Jesus is on his throne for us, for our good. And friends, sometimes that's the only hope and the only reality that we have when life gets so dark and when life gets so difficult. But that's the only hope and reality that we need. And friends, I, I know that some of you are struggling in acute and real and difficult ways right now in your life. You're struggling with the hardship of a lost loved one, a lost child, a lost job, a lost relationship, a lost dream. And it's during these times that we need to know the Savior's affirming love. And the ascension teaches us that Jesus really does love us, that Jesus really does delight in us, that Jesus really is for us, that Jesus even is able to use these trials for our good because he is a king. He's the Lord, and everything is in his hands. And so if you this morning are struggling for affirmation, if you're struggling for acceptance, if you're struggling to make sense of the dark and difficult things that you face in life, focus on the ascension. Focus on the reality that Jesus is the reigning Lord and that as the reigning Lord, he loves you and he accepts you and he is for you. And he does everything for the sake of his beloved people. And that there's nothing in the entire creation that can knock him off his throne. The ascension means that Jesus is there to stay. There's not one thing, not another power, not another dominion, not another authority that can knock Jesus off of his throne. And that's sufficient to give us hope. That's sufficient to give us perspective. That's sufficient to help us to persevere as we endure difficulties and trials of life. So what difficulties are you facing? What hardships and trials are you enduring right now? Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the ascended Jesus Bring them to the one who is watching over you right now and accepts you right now and delights in you right now, is interceding for you right now, is ruling and reigning from his throne for you. Rest in the fact that he reigns for you. And then second, take encouragement in the ascension because the ascension means that Jesus has sent his spirit. Jesus tells the disciples throughout the gospels that when he leaves this earth, he's going to give the gift of the spirit to his people. He tells us that it's good for him to go back to heaven so that he can send the spirit to be the comforter, the counselor, the friend Friends, without the, spirit, or without the Son ascending to heaven, the Spirit would not descend from heaven. And so the Spirit comes after Jesus sits on his throne in order to continue the work of the Son, in order to glorify the Son, in order to keep the story going. And belonging to Jesus 
does not simply mean that we rest in God's work for us and toward us, that we have a Savior, that we have a Lord who is reigning over all things. But it also means that Jesus is at work through us, that he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can, in his name, be merciful and gracious and kind and tender and forgiving to others. It's this work through us by which the story continues so that we can be the instruments of Jesus in his name in the world. We're called to be unto others in small but real ways what Jesus is for us, to be compassionate and loving and kind. And the only way that we become that type of person is through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Spirit in our lives you see, the Christian story isn't only about Jesus. The Christian story is also about the church. It's about the people of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the object of our faith. But through the work of the Spirit, we become the people of God in the world we become the faithful ones who continue the story of Jesus. We become the ones who live in mission for his name. And through the Spirit, little by little, we become like Jesus. Through the Spirit, we can become those who embody the grace that we have received. You see, Christianity isn't another therapy. Christianity isn't a therapeutic religion where we just tend to ourselves and where we just seek to become whole persons, to have whatever is broken in ourselves fixed. Christianity is a religion. It's a public faith. It's a way in which the life of God shows up in the world. It shows up in our homes and in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. And the good news of the ascension, that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's the risen and reigning Lord of all, means that the Spirit has come to his people. The Spirit has come to his world. The Spirit is the instrument of his grace in the world. And so, friends, you can't have Jesus without his Spirit. And you can't have the Spirit without the church. And what Jesus does in sending his spirit to his people is to empower us to live in his name and to not live for ourselves, to not live for our own agendas and our own stories and our own desires, but to live for his story. And sometimes the spirit empowers us in pretty radical ways. And we've all heard amazing stories about the spirit empowering the people of God to do amazing things in the world. And this is good and true and right to enter into these stories. But at other times, the Spirit empowers us in pretty mundane ways. And this is where we live 99% of the Christian life. Is the Spirit energizing and empowering and equipping us to live out the story in mundane ways? How do we do this? You see, every time... You don't hold a grudge against a loved one, against a spouse, a child, a friend, but rather forgive. That's a work of the Spirit. 
God will use that forgiveness in and for his kingdom purposes. Every time you tell the truth rather than lie, even if it's just a little white lie, the Spirit will use that truth-telling in and for his kingdom purposes. Every time you give, whether you give of your time or your money, your talents, your resources, and you don't hold on to them, but you give them unto others in Jesus' name, the Spirit's going to use those, even if it's just a small gift, in and for his kingdom purposes. Every time you make a sacrifice, even if it's just a small sacrifice, a little tiny sacrifice that nobody else knows about, not expecting anything in return, not doing this sacrifice in order for somebody to give back to you, but just doing it for Jesus' sake. It's the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to use that sacrifice to advance his kingdom. And friends, day by day, little by little, in our homes, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, as we seek to love and to serve and to give and to share and to sacrifice in Jesus' name, it's done only because of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we need the Spirit in order to live out this story of the ascension, the fact that the risen and reigning Lord sits on the Father's right hand means that he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can continue the story. And there's a reason why Luke places emphasis on the Spirit in his writing. It's because the Bible is so much more than we tend to make it out to be. You see, I think oftentimes we come to the Bible and we think that it's a book of virtues. We think that it's just a book of morals, that it's telling us what we need to do. And we look at our lives and say, all right, I don't keep these virtues. I don't keep these morals like I should. Friends, Jesus didn't come to fix our moral failings. That wasn't the primary emphasis of his story. The Bible is about God's life in the world. The Bible is about the way that the world should be. The Bible is about how God's life, his life of love and flourishing and peace and wholeness and unity and order and love and joy shows up. And we need morals to be able to do that. But we need so much more than morals. We need the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is a story of how heaven comes to earth the Bible is a story about how the Spirit from the very beginning has been at work to bring his life to earth. And the Bible is a story at the end of the Gospel of Luke about the Spirit coming to his people to empower them and to send them out to live in his world. Friends, Luke tells a beautiful story. Luke opens by introducing us to the work of the Spirit in the lives of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, Anna. And then Luke closes by telling us that all of Christ's disciples, all of his followers, receive the promise Holy Spirit. And so for Luke, the story of Jesus, the story of his ascension, continues through us we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus by baptism and by faith. And our calling as those who belong to Jesus is to continually live out his story, to align his story 
to our stories, no matter what you're experiencing. If you're experiencing good or if you're experiencing ill in this world. And friends, he freely and graciously still sends the Spirit to empower us and to encourage us to live in his name. Some of us are living good lives right now. Everything's going well. Everything's going the way that we anticipated it. Our, our dreams are being fulfilled. Everything is in order. And some of us are experiencing dark and difficult trials. And the good news of the ascension is that the Spirit is at work in our life, no matter where we are contextually, that Jesus sends his Spirit to all of his children, to all of his people, and he empowers us and he equips us to live in his name. And so wherever you find yourself, keep being faithful. Keep asking for grace. Keep asking for the Spirit's filling. Keep showing up where Jesus is, where his presence is, where his life is, just like these disciples did. They showed up in the temple waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to empower them and strengthen them. And Jesus, because he has ascended, Jesus, because he still sends the Spirit, will give the gifts that we need as we wait upon him to live for him and to embody his power and his presence and his joy and his life and his grace in the world today. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you so much for the gospel of Luke. And we thank you so much for the reality of the ascension, that you are Lord of all. And Lord, we ask that we would rest in the good news of Christ's ascension this day, that that would be fundamental and foundational to our understanding of what it means to be one of your followers. And we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit and that we would wait patiently upon you as you send us and you direct us to embody your life and your love and your joy and your world this week. For this we need your grace. For this we need your help. For this we need your spirit. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.